Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that solves your freelance problems one at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michelle Pratt, owner of Dive Deeper Development, and I run a training and coaching company. And I'm your other co-host, Casey Carlisle, otherwise known as Squarespace Queen, and I do Squarespace web design and training. And today we're going to be looking at the problems of anxiety and stress. Last year, in 2020, in a YouGov poll, 75% of people reported having experienced stress to the point where they felt they couldn't cope. And we know this is a problem for freelancers too, as we've seen this ourselves in our own networks with people being burnt out and overwhelmed. Without a company policy to protect us, how do we protect ourselves from stress and anxiety? So Katie, I mentioned there that this is something we've seen come up on forums and discussion groups, and we've experienced a bit of this ourselves, as we've discussed in the past. But why do you think that might be a problem for freelancers in particular? Well, I think the most obvious one is the fact that we don't get paid for sick days. So if you need time off work because of stress or anxiety, then you, you you can normally get that off paid as part of your sick leave. But if you're a freelancer, you don't get that. And so quite often that can exacerbate the problem because you have to try and, or a lot of people try, you don't have to, but a lot of people try and push through it because they're worried that they can't afford to take that time off. I think another thing that's different compared to if you're employed, I mean, you mentioned the company policy there, Michelle, is that, yeah, we don't really have anybody to check in that we're okay, you know, at least not in a professional sense anyway. We don't have the line manager who's checking in, okay, how are you doing? Are you feeling like you can handle everything? You don't necessarily have team members that can take on some of the work if you're struggling a bit, you know, they they can step in to help and take some stuff off your plate. You don't really often have anyone that you can hand stuff over to. So I think that's when the stress and anxiety and overwhelm are more of a problem. I think another thing is that contributes to like the cause of it is there's a lot of uncertainty about when your work's coming in and cash flow and obviously we've talked about this in a few episodes of you know whether whether freelancing is actually less secure than employment or not but whether it is or isn't there's definitely uncertainty in it you know cash flow and knowing when your next project is going to come from even if you've had projects for seven years in a row there could always be that one time that something doesn't renew so I think that can that uncertainty can cause some anxiety. And um, Michelle, have you got anything else that you think means it's a particular problem for freelancers? Yeah, I think you've. I think Katie, the thing is, that there's always an endless possibility of what you could do. So I think that work-life merge is a bit of an issue. You know, it's great as freelancers that we can have that work-life balance that we do. We can merge those two. But where I see people struggling is where they, you know, they they can do they can work every hour of the day therefore they feel like they ought to work every hour of the day or they just don't know without that nine to five when they ought to shut the laptop and stop for the day and so there's always so much that you could do and always so much more earning potential and it's it's a bit of a slippery slope Katie because at first you're just you're hustling to find clients and then when you've got clients you're trying to keep your clients happy and then you're trying to you know keep a constant flow of new clients but even when you've got a constant flow of clients and everybody's happy and you're fully booked you could always scale to the next level and take on stuff 
staff or you could always outsource or go for passive income which we talked about so really you could keep going until you were Jeff Bezos and you've basically got the next Amazon and you still <laughs> need to stop you know you could be Elon Musk couldn't you and there's no end and I guess there's always more earning potential and that combines with the um cash flow thing you talked about Katie you know it's like okay well I've got enough money now but I might not always have money in the future so best best do everything so we can put a lot on ourselves I think yeah definitely I think there's sometimes a bit of a culture around that in the freelancing world and that's something that we talked about in our freelance myths episode as well where you know the the idea that you've got to hustle you got to work hard otherwise you'll never be a success and I think that contributes especially to new freelancers feeling that they ha- they do have to work all those hours and you know maybe there's more of a need to prove yourself especially if you've had some resistance from friends and family and and your peers to the idea of you going freelance you probably feel like you need to prove yourself and one way to do that is by trying to kind of yeah work all the hours to bring in the money to be able to say hey look you know I'm doing okay so yeah I think definitely that temptation to always work more is a big contributor as well. So before we kind of look at how we can actually tackle it and how it manifests itself, Michelle, like what is actually the difference between stress and anxiety? Yeah, they're slightly different things. Both will trigger a threat response. So from the outside looking in, they may look similar. Technically, they have different um, different descriptions. So anxiety is generally described as worrying about things that could happen in the future. Some people say they experience a lot of anxiety worrying about things in the past, like things that they said at a meeting or things that they said in front of a new person you know obsessing over you know oh did I say something stupid what should I say that for why did the words desert me but generally speaking it's like looking to the future um thinking about all the things that could happen and um worrying about all the different possibilities so what's happening in your brain there there are different um parts of the brain a part that is there to scan for threats so quite often for people with anxiety this is going into overdrive there's also the more logical part your prefrontal cortex which is supposed to temper that but sometimes that doesn't uh, kick in the way that it should do and so that triggers your amygdala and your threat response there are the, the other thing with anxiety Katie which is quite makes it tricky to describe is there are lots of things we know as anxiety but it has many different names so things like there's a sort of sort of general anxiety disorder for people who experience this a lot with no explanation but there's also things like panic attacks phobias in particular particular social phobia PTSD obsessive compulsive disorder body dysmorphic disorder order and of course some women experience perinatal anxiety to name just a few so you may have come across different terms they're all describing types of anxiety but it has many different names so for some people it might be hard to spot that that's what they're experiencing um but um so it's quite a broad term so we may not have nailed it all today stress on the other hand um also triggers your threat response but it's where your perceived demands exceed your resources so um if you perceive that what is being asked of you vastly outweighs what you the, the ability you have to cope your resources be those physical mental or practical resources then you're going to feel stressed um so that's slightly slightly different um they say for stress there are three phases so you've got the alarm so this is where your body pre- preps for action 
action and everything speeds up. So you might notice someone walking quickly, talking quickly, eating quickly, and that's because the, the adrenaline's pumping for your body. You're, you've perceived a threat because you're overwhelmed and your body just starts to release uh, fats and glucose, adrenaline, your blood flow is diverted from non-essential body areas, your immune system becomes ever so slightly uh, suppressed. So your body's gearing up basically. And um, if the stress goes away, then you'll return back to normal, that's fine. But if it doesn't, you go into what we call resistance. And of course your body continues to release these resources. So if that continues, you get things like headaches, insomnia, gastric problems, even things like skin rashes and pain. So it becomes a little bit um, more acute problems. And again, if things go back to normal, um, it's fine. You can you can go back to normal. But uh, if it continues, you go into what's called the exhaustion phase, which uh, is where you start to get things like lightheadedness. You may become physically ill and you just get burnt out. So I think it's worth describing those, Katie, because I think particularly with stress, again, people don't always recognise the signs. So I was in a job where I felt where I actually recognised months after the fact that I had burnout. But I remember like I used to have these skin rashes just on the corner of my wrist. It wasn't like ringworm, but it wasn't. Um, and I went to the went to the doctor. The doctor didn't know what it was, and I was always run down. And I always had like a mouthful of ulcers, tiny, tiny pinpoint ulcers, Oof. a whole mouth of them. The dentist, the doctor didn't know what to do. And I, I you know, and I was taking uh, paracetamol. I was taking uh, vitamin B to deal with the ulcers. And I never actually connected all these very seemingly minor ailments together. And I actually experienced the lightheadedness phase at one point. And I just went to the doctor and got tablets for dizziness even though they didn't know what it was. And I'm like, why did nobody pick this up? I mean, it's on me. But when I went to the doctor for dizziness, and at that point I did think about, oh, should I be signed off here? And I never really clicked. So some of these signs, uh, you know, your body gearing up for action or gearing up to the threat can be very, very subtle. And in isolation, we all get ulcers or skin rashes or headaches or stomach problems. But if you're having lots of these little things and they're compounding and the insomnia is getting worse, for example, and you're not solely someone who has sleep problems, this can be a sign. So I think it's worth swatting up on these things so you can spot, because sometimes you don't spot it after the fact. And when I felt burnt out, I certainly didn't. And when I felt burnt out as well, the, the physical symptoms dissipated quite quickly, but mentally I think I carried that with me for a long time so like people would ask offer me freelance work on this contract I was working as an associate and they're like you're doing three or four dates a week at the moment do you want to do um uh you know maybe we could get you doing a permanent contract we do five days a week and in my head I was like no no I don't want more work I had this real aversion to being overwhelmed even when I wasn't being because you equated five days a week with sickness yeah, I just I just didn't want too much. I was worried about taking on too much, yeah. even though it was well within my capability. So when we say stress is when your perceived demands outweigh your resources, it, it it's, perception does play a, a big part of it. So it does. So what might be perfectly doable in five days to you, if I'm perceiving that's too much, um, it will feel stressful for me, even if we've got similar capabilities. So there is that element of. Uh, it's also. Um, what is stressful for you now? Just that I, I could work that way years ago, but if you ask me to work at that pace now, I'm not sure that I could. So it's um, it's 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 again quite an intangible thing or hard to recognise in many ways. Yeah, and it's so interesting as well because actually, like I'd never really kind of thought about the difference between stress and anxiety before. And whilst I do have quite a lot of anxiety certainly since I've been freelance, I don't really get stressed that much. And I think it's all down to that perception thing, Michelle, of that I do have this sort of 
blind optimism is in my abilities as a business owner to, to get it done. And, you know, like sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I'll get it done because it has to get done. And I just, and that just to me is just so obvious. And, you know, sometimes I do end up renegotiating deadlines or pushing things if I need to, but I always feel okay about doing that. So yeah, I, I think I, I, I have anxiety, but I just don't, I don't really experience the stress thing, even though maybe I should, because maybe sometimes there is actually more to do than I've got time for. But I think I am quite careful about not taking on too much as well, because I don't like that feeling of overwhelm. But I think that's slightly different to to stress, because, yeah, I always believe I can do it, even if it's a bit overwhelming. So it's, I just thought it was really interesting, that the difference between those two. It's interesting, like you described that you've got, there is a difference between the two and maybe you get stressed, but you don't necessarily have anxiety, but not necessarily stress. And you're definitely as a freelancer, like you say, you just believe it's going to be okay. Good sign there that, you know, your perception of your resources is pretty high. And like you say, you don't take on too much, which is why you wouldn't experience it, even though, as you say, there are times where there is more work than there is time. So I think that's a huge part. But Katie, you've talked about... um, dealing with anxiety and we've and everyone also experiences stress as well so how does that manifest itself well obviously you've mentioned a couple of ways where you know where there are where it actually has kind of the physical symptoms like you had your skin rash insomnia stomach problems you know there's been a lot of studies linking ibs to to stress and things like that and like you say ulcers is a classic sign of being run down that's something we know now but we didn't we didn't always know that those things were all linked and I think it's only recently that there's more of an acceptance about the mind-body connection compared to even say 10 years ago but I think other signs um, that you might have stress or anxiety um, is if you start procrastinating on things that you wouldn't normally I think a big one for me is is sort of hiding or kind of retreating from from scenarios where you'd normally be involved so from social events or things like that or just kind of generally becoming withdrawn that's a big thing for me because I'm normally pretty extrovert and outgoing so I know if I start hiding from things that that is means that something isn't quite right and I think one thing that I see quite a lot with other freelancers is you know if there's a problem or if you feel like if you feel really stressed about something or if because of your anxiety you've not been able to work or, or whatever then people kind of go into that hiding mode with the clients and so they'll stop communicating with clients because they don't want to admit that they haven't done the work but of course that never actually makes anything better but I think that's if you find yourself not wanting to communicate with a client and wanting to hide instead I think that's a sign and for me another one is just getting upset things that wouldn't normally upset me that that's that's when I know my anxiety is is a bit higher than usual when I can't cope with things I would normally cope with so Michelle what about you is there anything else yeah I think you've got a good a good a good list there Katie I, th- I think the thing is I mentioned that um both of these can trigger a threat response and a threat response you know we talk about fight and flight it used to be a physical thing it is also now a psychological and social thing as well so if you're under social threat or psychological threat and so you see this when, when, in both with stress and anxiety it triggers that threat response and most people go into fight or flight so Katie all those things you've described would fit into one of those two categories fight fight or or maybe freeze as well so the typical ones are coming out you know fight would be yeah blaming accusing being 
irritable lashing out like you've just mentioned the things where you go out the front foot um and then the the flight things are like you say is withdrawing making yourself feel small you know maybe being a bit withdrawn depressed upset so um you can if, if you are spotting any of these sort of responses that you're really coming out firing on all cylinders or you're really actually retreating whether it's physically or emotionally you know you get sort of very da down very flat both either can be responses to to both stress and anxiety now one thing i find i feel like sometimes i quite like being you know feeling I never feel stressed in the sense of like, oh crap, I haven't got the time to do all this. But sometimes I like a feeling of that, I think that you probably would class as feeling a little bit stressed of the like, like just that kind of time crunch or like, okay, I've got a lot to do before this deadline. I quite like that. Is that weird? It can stress or anxiety even, can they ever be good? Yeah, I mean, they both they both can be be good in a in a way, or they both have the positive intent behind them because they're inbuilt coping mechanisms. In in the case of anxiety, there aren't. I mean, you were saying before, Katie, not a huge amount of benefits of it, but it it is a, a, a natural response. So we all experience some anxiety at some point, whether we have a clinical diagnosis or not. And of course, anxiety is designed to protect you from harm. It's a defense mechanism. So there is there is a good thing there. If you never ever experienced anxiety, you would never be prepared for. A so it's more about the level with, with stress actually it can be a really good thing and I wouldn't advocate putting yourself under a load of stress to get things done I don't think that's healthy in the long term but there is a difference between stress and pressure so there is a bell curve and actually if um if I mentioned your your resources outweighing your demands outweighing your resources and so Katie if you have this thing where your resources outweigh your demands that can also be quite stressful uh, they call that eustress and basically what happens there is you don't have enough stimulation there's not enough challenge and pressure to motivate or give you purpose so the classic one is uh, you know I took a break after uh, working uh, in a corporate job full time and I took a break after I finished the first contract when I started freelancing and just didn't work for six months and so quite a few people do this and to begin with it's great not to have the pressure of a job or deadlines but after a while like it becomes like nothingness you're like what is even the point of me I don't you know I'm not producing anything I'm not adding value like what am I doing you know and <laughs> um, I think a lot of people on maternity leave feel that way as well yeah or furlough people on furlough right now must be feeling yeah like, you know so you're underemployed so that in itself is a type of stress but at the at the best best case scenario of that the best better end of that um is perhaps just boredom so without enough challenge we get really bored and we get kind of listless um so actually we need just the right amount and ideally what you're going for is where your demands are kind of nicely balanced with your resources so there's just enough challenge but you've also got just enough capability or resources to deal with it that's kind of like the optimum and then if your demands outweigh your resources the belt the bell sort of curve goes the other way and suddenly we start to decline towards burnout okay so it sounds like maybe actually i like the pressure not necessarily stress yes i would probably say that's a better way of describing it yeah so just before we, we look at what we can do about about it what actually causes anxiety and stress yeah that's an interesting interesting one um, because we, I have this question when we do workshops uh, with, uh, with about stress with people and um, one of the things we put up on the screen is we ask them are you always the cause of your own stress and I think if you'd asked me that question when I was in a really stressful 
position I think I probably would want to biff you on the nose uh, or say a few choice swear words (laughs) at you to put it politely I would have been raging if you'd asked me that when I was in the thick of it but I do look back and see how I caused it so there was stuff being piled on me and I said yes but it all stopped when I pushed back and went actually this isn't my problem this is our problem so we're going to share the pain equally now and you know it changed when I said to my manager I can't cope which was like an anathema to me but I did and so it said that um, it's not really the situation, it's more um, how you feel about the situation normally. And, and, and it actually, I talk about your perceived, the perceived demands and your perceived resources. That can come down to it quite a lot. So I think other people can pile uh, stuff on you, but I think the response of whether we put up with it or whether we choose it is ours. Typically, I find that when we are stressed, it is because of the way we've handled something or the way we perceive it or the things we tell ourselves about it and uh, and we can be the cause of our own stress however when we have this have this debate with people in workshops people do say well actually no if you've got a manager who's a bully that was stressful and that I kind of agree with but it's an interesting question Katie when I first got the session notes running that session for one of my clients I was like I can't say that to people they're going to get mad at me And I've even asked this question on social media. And interestingly, a lot of people say, yeah, actually, that's right. You are the cause of your own stress. And I didn't expect as many people to agree with that statement as do actually agree with it. So I think there can be many sources of stress. Your your environment, so whether you're set up for homeworking, whether you have a quiet space where you've got enough people around you. People, of course, can be stressful. Clients, family members, friends. All of this uh, could be there too. Um, And also the role that you're in or the job that you're doing can be inherently stressful as well as things like the wider economy. So there are many causes of stress. Yeah, we're definitely not saying that you were the cause of your own stress if you had problems due to COVID. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or health can cause it, of course, and and this kind of thing. So there are many sources of stress, but I think the one that I kind of direct people to is that the one thing that we can control is is our bit. But I don't know, Kate, what do you think about that? Do you think you are the cause of your own stress? I'm not saying that you are, actually. I've never got a textbook answer for that. But Yeah, is is one the cause of one stress? Or Yeah, Yeah, I, I I, I think I was a bit like you. Um, when I was employed in that sense of I can do it all myself I don't need any help and you know in a way that set me up well for freelancing but I think I I was always I, I was I have always been quite like a people pleaser and even though I kind of like to do things a bit differently I also just really like to like be a good girl as well and do the right thing and so I think it, yeah it's really hard for me to ask for help like I actually remember one job I was in and literally the only time I ever asked for help and I I remember it so distinctly because I was like oh my god I just asked for help was I just found out my cat had been run over and I was trying I was supposed to be managing this event and like going and serving coffees and setting up stuff for people in the in the venue where I worked at and I just was like okay well I can't do that now because I'm in absolute state and I just remember walking into the main room with my colleagues and I was like I need help and like they all looked so shocked because it was just so unusual for me to ask for help and so yeah definitely like that you know that job I did end up I think having a bit of burnout at the end of it yeah I was just really poorly for quite a while um and like you said Michelle you know as soon as I stopped and actually properly rested for like prolonged time I got better and I just I think I hadn't realized that but yeah I, I could definitely have done more like you were saying to to kind of address my workload and to address my responsibilities and everything and I think it does depend on the company culture how 
much that will land you know like I think you can you can go and say right okay I've got this problem and you could have a manager that says yeah yeah of course we'll sort that out for you but whether that actually happens or not is a different case um I have had that before I have actually tried to ask for help and I've been promised it but then it's never actually materialized so yeah I think I think my sitting on the fence answer is you you can definitely be responsible and I'm sure I have been responsible for my own stress the, the cause of my own stress there's so many there's so many circumstances that are totally out of your control yeah that's but true when it's to do with but but if stress is actually to do with perception then you can actually control how you perceive something so then you know like I was saying that some um, somebody else in my situation might feel stressed with you know I have quite a number of active clients at one go sometimes and some people are like oh I don't know how you could manage that and but I I quite like the variety I'd get bored if it was just one client at a time where some people prefer to work in that very like right this is client one this is client two after I finish that one whereas I I see it as a positive thing and so because of that I think that makes me not stressed and I think I see things as challenges and it's always so cheesy. Oh, I see things as challenges rather than problems. It's such a twatty thing to say, but I kind of do in a work context. I don't in a personal context. I, you know, I'm, I, that's what's weird about me is that like, I get stressed about stupid things in, in my non-business life, but in my business life, I feel very confident and I don't know why I've got this two sides to it. It's very interesting. I've not quite got to the bottom of it, but yeah, in the business world, I just have this sort of, this like perception that it's all going to be fine and so then I think stuff bothers me less but I think I think it's important Kate because I think not everybody some people with the experience anxiety they don't always know where it comes from or they don't know why certain events trigger that response so now let's have a look about what we what we can do about it I mean there are some tips specific to each for both stress and anxiety but I mean first of all there's a few general things we can do if, if it's a problem aren't there the first thing is to just kind of tackle the immediate problem if it's getting to the point where it's you know causing proper issues for you so i think it's definitely worth addressing the underlying cause ultimately but i think you know if you've got if you've got a client who's been chasing you and you've not been responding or if you've got a deadline looming that you literally are not going to be able to meet or if you are actually physically ill and can't work I think the first thing you need to do is address that that short-term problem and try and like get that to the point where you're you're in a better position so whether that's communicating with your clients and renegotiating deadlines it might look like outsourcing to get the work done so that you can then get back to a place where you can breathe again you know I know when people have financial worries you know somebody somebody I've helped out financially in the past had got into you know a bit of a a cycle of debt and um, they'd been they'd been gambling. They'd taken out some short term payday type loans. They'd gone into their overdraft. They had a credit card, and the interest that they were accumulating was just making it impossible for them to get back on track. And so I helped that person call up the bank, call up the payday lenders, and you know, like I you know I spoke to some of them on their behalf and said, look, I know you want to be a responsible lender here's what you can do to help this person get back on track. I did lend them a little bit of money to like get out of the hole, which they then paid back. But you know, that that sort of addressing that short-term approach. And we had to do that before we could look then at like how they manage their finances in a more sustainable way in the future. And so I think looking at, you know, what can you do? You know, if you're burnt out and you're literally having those physical manifestations, you just need to take a break, even if it means 
that you might have to, you know, have a difficult conversation with a client or you might have to lose a piece of work. Your health is actually the most important thing. Health, health, health is wealth, isn't it? Yeah, okay. exactly. I also, I suppose I, the, the first thing you could do, like you say, one is to, you know, extract yourself from any immediate physical or mental uh, distress. But I suppose also, you know, you... <laughs> If you can't deliver the work, that feels awful not to do it. But you can always preserve the relationship. So you, you know, what you're saying there about being honest um, and, yeah. and sorting things out, you can still preserve the relationship depending on how you handle it, even if you let somebody down. Yeah, exactly. And there's always a conversation that you can have and it's probably going to be really uncomfortable. But if you go into it with the attitude of, right, okay, yeah, I'm going to be as honest as I can be, but in a way, but, but you know, the it's, it's not about burdening the client with your problems either. It's not about going like, oh, hey, here's my tale of woe, suck it up. It's like, okay, with as much detail or as little detail as you need to give, you know, here's a situation, here's some suggested ways around it. And if you, if you actually show the client that you've thought about those ways around it, then yeah, normally they'll, you know, it'll be okay. Sometimes you might find that, yeah, they, they, they aren't happy and they do want to just go and find someone else. And that is just the way it is. But especially if it's a client you've had a relationship with a while for a while, then I think you can do that. We know somebody who's recently contacted their client and they, they were working on another project, totally separate to this other client. They're working with them and had a bit of burnout because of the, this, the kind of huge nature of the project. And they went to this other client and said, look, we just, I just need a little bit of a break for a while. And the client was like, okay, cool. You know, like there's ways to handle it, especially if you've got a long-term relationship with that client and you've delivered consistently in the past, then I think it's fine. And I've done that with clients before. If my anxiety has been really bad, I've said to them, look, I'm struggling a bit at the moment. I haven't necessarily gone into detail, but I've, it's kind of looking at what their pain points are as well. Like, why did they hire you in the first place? And why was that deadline set? Is it arbitrary? Like, obviously, if it's, you know, something where there's an actual fixed date that you can't do anything about, somehow you need to figure out a way to get that work done. But maybe you can recommend someone to step in. And yes, you might have to cover a bit of that cost, but there's normally a way out. And, you know, if you're at this point where it is really bad, then, you know, that it's worth that sacrifice a lot of the time hopefully it doesn't get that bad so the ideal thing is to identify it before it gets that bad and then you can look at the kind of look at the more medium and long-term approach I think of okay well I've recognized this I've put a stop to it in time for it to get bad but how do I prevent it from happening again what can I do in the medium term what can I do in the long term because some of the things you might not be able to do straight away if you need to kind of change your working patterns or take on fewer clients you might need to gradually transition them off your books if you're on retainer work and things or just if you're changing your focus we've talked about that in a previous episode you know what to do if you want to switch from one type of um one type of work to another so yeah I think that's probably what I would start with what about you Michelle yeah, I mean, that is a great way to deal with it in the first instance, Katie, because I think sometimes we all back ourselves into the corner. We say yes to too many things or like you say, deadlines shift or the client comes back with a new brief and it, and it we really feel those pinch points. So I think you're quite right in the in the first first instance. And then, of course, yeah, I mean, I, I work with large, a lot, a lot of companies and they, they run stress sessions on stress or well-being or mindfulness, but they don't really look at that root cause. So I think that, that like I say, I like you're saying about deal with the short term, but also deal with the long term view as well. Yeah, I remember you saying to me once that you were just like, yeah, I've been asked to run the session on, on managing stress, but I don't want to teach them how to manage the stress. I want to 
figure out what's causing the stress and deal with that instead, which I thought made a lot of sense. And hopefully more companies are thinking like that now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a useful thing to be able to do for companies. Um, you hope that the same discussion and debates are being had at senior management level so they don't end up, um, you know, that it's been ta- tackled from all angles. So you never know. I mean, Katie, I think there are some, some tangible things you can do for for both stress and anxiety some of them are slightly different i think if you suffer from anxiety i mean you mentioned triggers a little bit earlier katie but it can be good to know what triggers your anxiety once you can sort of you know uh, remove them but secondly spot what's happening and then take a more measured approach as far as far as you can so i mean i mean katie i mean you mentioned triggers just if you don't mind sharing with us just tell us a little bit about what, what do we mean when we say that i think a trigger for me is anything which can exacerbate or start my anxiety up and that's probably the same for stress as well Um, but I think it's especially relevant for anxiety because I think stress is something that it doesn't just sort of suddenly spin up and down I think stress builds up and it's kind of that kind of dawning awareness that you've not got the time to do or the money or the whatever to do this thing and I think it doesn't just switch on as much as anxiety does it probably does in some ways but I think for me yeah with my anxiety it's anything which is going to make it more likely that my anxiety is going to be bad that's what I consider to be a trigger so like I know a big thing for me is around plans changing or things not happening the way I expect them to and being late and being delayed is another big one for me so I try and anticipate that so for example so when we went to the US a few years ago I knew there'd be a huge queue for immigration when we landed and normally being in a queue and feeling like oh you know I don't know how long this is like uncertainty it's a tricky one for me as well I don't know how long this is going to take what if we miss you know the the train that we were going to get or what if we're late for checking in at the time that we said we'd be there and all kinds of scenarios kind of fly around in my head and so I just have to anticipate I don't know how long this is going to be. Being in that queue is going to be quite triggering for my anxiety. So what can I do to mitigate it? So in that instance, I kind of was like, right, okay, I'm expecting to queue. That's part of the, the you know, process of going on that trip. And so I just had a Kindle with me in the queue. And as we, you know, as we were walking along, I was just reading the Kindle. So I was kind of like still almost in kind of airplane mode of, how do I kind of entertain myself during this period that is kind of taking me to my holiday and and just doing that so that sort of thing I'll try and look at okay what do I expect to happen and how can I manage the likelihood of that so like I know I'm going to be traveling on the first I'm going to be driving on the M6 on the first weekend after the schools break up yeah this month I'm going up to see my my new godson so it's super exciting and I really want to go, but I am not looking forward to the M6 on that first weekend. And so I'm just like, right, okay, I'm I'm planning on breaking up that journey and here's the places where I can stop. And I'm worrying about, oh, am I going to need a wee? So here's the places I can stop. And I know none of this is work related, but I think it does apply to work stuff. It, it helps as well, because it's whatever your triggers are, they'll be different to mine. But it's, yeah, knowing in advance and trying to plan what you can I think just help. Yeah, me. I mean, I, I mean, for me, Katie, something I don't really get anxious very often. I'm, I'm actually 
probably alarmingly calm. Sometimes I think I ought to get worked up about things when I don't. But uh, you know, I just I, I think I should be more bothered about this. But um, one one of my one of the things that triggers you know anxious anxiety for me is is just being in the feeling of not in control. So if my diary is one hundred percent booked out. I feel like I, and I'm not on top of things so it's because this happened to me last month and every day was booked but some of those things booked in were fun things relaxing things like going away or I'd booked in a slot for a walk but because every single thing was allocated even for fun st- or recreational stuff and because I was work doing delivery days back to back I didn't have any space in my diary for admin or just reviewing what was going on everything was all go I felt like I wasn't in control turns out what has been booked in my diary was prep time to prep and do the admin for things but because it wasn't done <laughs> I was like I was like oh I'm more ready for this than I thought I was yeah because I allocated time for it but just looking at my diary everything allocated where not mentally knowing when I'm going to ch- you know when I'm going to feel planned like normally I have a few hours on a Monday morning and I could get feel on top of things so I think to spot the trigger is good and just to know it's like right I'm not letting that happen again I will always have half a day at the beginning of you know at the beginning of a Monday or end of a Friday where I you know feel on top so i think knowing your triggers is good um some people you you you, katie you talked about what can i do to make it better and some people use a rating system a one to ten for this so they articulate how anxious a situation makes them on a scale of one to ten and i think this is quite useful partly because i think it allows you to have a vocabulary for describing to other people what's going on with you so so, you know like i say i use public speaking because it's a a common one but that for some people makes them a nine or a ten ironically something that doesn't faze me in the slightest <laughs> yeah and, and it's one of the most common ones and people say oh it's a nine or a ten but for me it's like a two and so it's quite useful <laughs> to be able to articulate to somebody and it gives you this common language i think it's also quite good for knowing how far you've progressed so if you're dealing with something that was a 10 and it's now like a six i think you should give yourself a pat on the back but the other thing you can use this for is just to ask yourself that question a bit like you were saying katie right this has got me at an eight and rather than trying to solve the whole problem, just ask yourself, what would that look like at a seven? What would it look like at a six? What is one thing I could do to get it from an eight to a seven? And so you can start to ratchet the situation down a little bit. And this can give you that one, if you can catch your anxiety early, it gives you the, you know, a way of prevent it from escalating and to walk it back. Obviously, if you're at a 10, it's quite hard to do this. Um and it can give you a plan. So for some people, they find that kind of one to 10 thing can be really useful uh, and to, to, to help them. I mean, I mean, some other things, Katie, as well, both with stress and anxiety. I know we're talking about anxiety at the minute, but well, actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll cover a couple of specific things because there is a really good handout on stress and anxiety on the Anxiety UK website, which if you've never found it, I would recommend. Um, it's It's got loads of resources to free stuff as well as things you can join up to. But um, they have their warm approach. Uh, W-A-R-M. It stands for worry, assumption, resolution and moving on. So the first thing they encourage you to do is think about what's bothering you and to spot that trigger. So was anything um, triggered you? And to be really specific about what what it is that you're worried about rather than a general statement. Then the A stands for assumption. So the idea is you ask yourself, well, what assumptions have I made? What beliefs do I hold about myself? And am I approaching this from a positive or negative angle? So just to check the assumption that's caused the anxiety. Then the R stands for resolution. So then actually once you've pinpointed the cause of it and you've highlighted the assumptions or beliefs that may or may not be true, then you ask yourself about resolution. So what steps can I take? So what can you control to get it to to where you want to be? 
finally, is there anything you could do, as you say, Katie, to minimise this type of stress in future? So looking forward. So I quite I quite like the warm approach. When I share that with people, they generally like it. The other one is just to, they ask you just to reflect on your reaction. And I quite like this because anxiety can make people think in circles. So they say that there are, there are two questions you should ask yourself. One is, what am I achieving by worrying about this? And the second question is, what can I do to change the outcome? And if the answer to both of these questions is nothing, then it probably doesn't deserve to occupy much of your thoughts. Uh, you should be focused on the things you can change. Um, and again, if you can catch it quite early, it, it, it can really help as well. So I quite like those as proposed uh, solutions. So there's a few specific things you can do if you do find yourself really, really anxious. But Katie, you mentioned short, medium and long term with anxiety, but I also think it's quite good to get yourself in a physical, emotional, mental state where we are less likely to feel this in the first place. Oh, 100%. Yeah, prevention is better than cure, definitely. Yeah. So what are some of the things we could do? Because there's loads of things we've discussed on this podcast, but any you'd recommend? I mean, for me, one thing that's massively helped is actually going swimming. And I know that not everyone has a convenient body of water near them but actually for you it might be running it might be just going for a walk it might be not even be something outdoors but I found that certainly yeah since I've started going swimming since kind of the start of this year on a daily basis I was swimming beforehand but not on a daily basis and now I swim most days and there's been a few of us that have been swimming together as well just me and a few neighbours and that's made a huge difference and we've all said the same thing especially with lockdown and everything the, the last few months of being able to go out together and have that support and accountability and just feel a bit safer swimming with other people and everything being able to get in the water and just for like half an hour just kind of have that break from everything and of course there's the kind of medical benefits that people are seemingly finding about cold water as well um, and I think anything that just like helps you to look after yourself and like you say get yourself in that condition so that the anxiety doesn't happen or you're in a position to stop it before it escalates so sometimes I'll go and just take a bit of a break from work and I'll you know I'll just take some time off you know in an afternoon or something I'll go and do something else whether that's kind of watching mindless tv or going for a walk or going doing water sport or like doing something outside and sometimes I feel a bit bad because Roland is very yeah he doesn't have anxiety he's very like on it with work and he's just kind of like he's a machine he just kind of sits and does his work and like I, I and he's always like oh I love my work and I'm like oh I love my work but sometimes I can't do it <laughs> so um but he always always says as well like you know because I my work's quite creative and whereas his he describes as less creative so it's like you know he always says actually you do kind of need that 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 break that pause that time to like recharge yourself because the creativity I think takes more energy which I thought was interesting I don't know if it does but I think for me start you know it kind of being willing to say that working less isn't a failure or being okay with saying, right, I'm going to go and have a break now, even if he's working. And that doesn't mean that I'm less effective or anything has made a big difference. Um, so just trying to kind of, again, keep that space in my day, like you were talking about, Michelle. Um, that's another thing for me as well. I agree that having a really busy calendar is quite stressful. So I try not to book calls. I start trying to basically only book calls on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I know I've got Mondays and Fridays clear of calls. So then if I need to go and do something, or if I want to go and do something, then I can. A more logical way would probably be to break it up. But I've just found that more people are available in the middle of the week. And 
I mean, me and meditation have a kind of love-hate relationship, but I do think it's really good. Whenever I do it, it does help. I've been going to yoga a bit more recently, so I've been doing meditation as part of that. And I think that is helping me and just taking that, you know, that hour for myself. Yeah. I think it makes a big difference. What what have you found? I know you've you you've said stuff about going outside and going for walks and stuff that yeah. really helps you. I, I find when we discuss this with people, it's just I it, put it into three parts, okay? I'd probably put it into like uh into your body uh probably into your mind and emotions and then also um i would say people would be the third category so okay yeah, like you say prevention better than the cure so make sure that the, the stuff built in for these to create a, a situation where you're less likely to get stressed or anxious in the first place so you mentioned swimming i really like walking i might go for a run i think whatever that is for you cycling you know doing diy just do something physically for your body and and with that you know sleep if you can if you're already anxious or stressed then sleep might be difficult but make sure you're sleeping you've got a good sleeping routine make sure that you're hydrated um make sure that you your nutrition is good because you can only get out what you put in i also think you should do things for your your mind or your emotions as well so you mentioned yoga katie i also do yoga and i also like the breathing and the meditation in that too depending on the type of yoga you're doing but there's also other things like well Okay, well, first of all, just relaxing and having fun, watching a comedy program, listening to your favourite song, um, chilling, if that's your thing. Or if you're quite an active person working on something that just stimulates you. There, there are apps like Headspace or the Calm app, for example, that you can use. But anything that really sort of um, just helps positive thinking, watching some development videos, whatever works for you, really. But something that feels good. And then finally, I'd say, Kate, you make sure that you nurture your network before you need it, ideally. So there are people that are important to you make sure you're spending time with them or socializing with them or networking with them and of course use them call upon them have have buddies out there if you're having a bad day you know either whether you need a good good talking to or kick up the backside or whether you need some kind <laughs> words we've all got people in our in our lives that can give us all of those things um as and when we need them and i think it's you don't be afraid like you said katie asking for help there don't be afraid to to call on people when you need them as well yeah and i think just being kind to yourself is really helpful too like i I remember hearing about this idea i think it was on a meditation course i did this idea of the second suffering and it's it's the idea that something will happen that that triggers your anxiety but then quite a lot of the time we then beat ourselves up for feeling that way so i'll you know maybe get anxious and then i'll be like oh i'm so embarrassed about being anxious it's so stupid to be anxious about this normal people wouldn't be anxious about this this is stupid and i'll actually get more anxious about my reaction to the anxiety than i was about the anxiety in the first place and that's the idea of this kind of second suffering of actually the first thing you kind of can't control necessarily but the second thing your reaction to it you can control much more easily you can't control the traffic or the cues or whatever it is but you can control your reaction to it so I think just being kind to yourself and not beating yourself up for feeling away is really helpful and there's a guy called Nick Wignall and I mean I love all of his writing he writes a lot about um, psychology and anxiety but about productivity as well and so if you're having any issues with anxiety and stress at 100% I feel like I'm saying 100% a lot in this podcast I'd really recommend <laughs> checking him out um, so it's Nick Wignall and one of the things that he says is actually to validate your emotions rather than trying to avoid them and I think that's such a valuable advice and what he means by that is 
to you know rather than having an emotion and then either trying to run away from it or beating yourself up about it is to say yeah it's fair enough that I'd feel like that like actually it's understandable I'd feel that way and you know just kind of actually sit with it and acknowledge it and let yourself feel that way because what he says is actually by trying to make it go away you're teaching your brain that that is a that that is a, that is indeed a scary thing you're kind of reinforcing your brain's fight or flight tendencies by kind of saying yep yeah, that's bad and scary and I want to get away from it but it's actually if you can sit with it and actually start to be okay with those emotions and let yourself feel those emotions that's actually better for managing your anxiety long term so um, I'm probably not explaining it super well so go and go and check him out he's he's really great uh, he sends out a regular email with lots of wise yeah. words on it as well yeah that's good I've heard that referred to as normalizing it as well they say that the three yeah. things you know permanence uh, pervasiveness and personalization and actually if you just normalize it by saying well everybody makes mistakes or everybody gets upset or everyone feels disappointed with things don't work out it can really help and it does it, like you say just validating it and, and labeling it really helps a tip actually is what would you say to a friend who was having that emotion because quite often we're much kinder to other people than we are to ourselves yeah don't pick someone you don't like <laughs> yeah stop being so stupid if that's the kind of friendships you have um but, but we've talked about anxiety perhaps we should just talk about stress for a second um you know we we talked about stress as being when your demands outweigh your resources and i just I've probably a few things to mention here i think sometimes Katie when we have too much work we t- it's very tempting to get in that space of where we think of oh well I'll just work a few more hours and I get it done or um oh well if I just do if I work on Sunday then it's off my desk and then I won't worry about it for the, de- the rest of the week but it's probably worth working out pointing out that working harder doesn't solve stress and the reason why working harder doesn't solve stress is that there's always more work so even if you get the work done um there's just more to do so it, this really helps interestingly working less doesn't solve stress either there was a danish uh, psychologist i forget his name bo somebody and he actually found that working less and we talked about not having enough stimulation can actually make things worse and sometimes what happens is people get signed off work from stress and that kind of at first it's useful for them but after a while it almost feels like languishing rather than having a break and actually makes it harder for them to come back into the workforce so less isn't the answer either Stress is actually less to do with the hours that you work, but more how you do, how you f- you feel about the hours when you're working them. So it's more about how you feel in that time than how many hours you work. Because some people work 80 hours a week and love it, and some people work 10 hours a week and would rather retire. Um, so it's not really the amount of work, it's more how you feel about the amount of work that's the difference. So don't be tempted to work more. There's a few things that can help with with stress. Um, there, there is, you, Katie, you mentioned this earlier and you said it sounded cheesy, but it doesn't. There is research to back this up. Seeing stress as a challenge as opposed to overwhelm, something that's overwhelming has been proven to help you deal with stress. There was a, a study where they got uh, people into two groups. One group were primed by showing the video talking about some of the benefits of stress and how that seeing it as a challenge can be a really powering thing. And another group were told about how stress can be really crippling and uh, all the problems it can cause. And then when they studied both groups afterwards, putting them in a stressful situation, the challenge mindset people actually did far better and experienced less stress. So you're not cheesy. That is true. If we reframe uh, difficult situations as a challenge, 
um, it does help. And I sometimes do this when I think about things that are stressful. I think, oh, this is, rather than, oh my God, what if it goes wrong? I think this is an opportunity to shine. Or what if it all goes right? Or how awesome will I feel when I get it done? So there is science behind it. Making decisions quickly can also help. So there's also proof that we make better decisions under time pressure. So don't stress too much if you're under stress about time. Actually, sometimes the pressure can really focus your thinking. I have heard of people encouraging people to drink glasses of water in stand-up meetings um, because the meetings will have to be drawn short because people need the loo and apparently um, (laughs) (laughs) the urgency of needing a wee actually makes for better brainstorming. So sometimes that that time pressure can be good and actually sometimes making the decision quicker, not irrationally, but weighing up your options, making decision and moving on can actually get a better quality outcome than prevaricating over it or spending a long time on it as well. And if you do get support, we've, we've mentioned using your network. Another interesting thing was you shouldn't solicit advice, you should solicit support. So apparently if you solicit advice or find someone to talk about the problem with, talking about the problem makes you feel worse. Um, it, the same thing also showed that self-deprecation, using self-deprecation, self-deprecating humour in the long term makes it worse. Actually what is better is if you get support, just get support. And if you can't actually just have a hug or spend, have have a bit of fun with a loved one, they even showed that it actually just getting a text message from a loved one before an exam made people less uh, stressed and they performed better. It, the text message messages worked better when the stress of the exam was never even discussed. And it, when you can't get a text, even imagining the face of a loved one actually made you feel people feel less stressed and they performed better in the exam as well. Just reminding themselves of a, of a partner or a family member or probably even a pet. So getting into a positive state, focusing on the solution or what you have, a bit of gratitude, I suppose, is better than plowing through your problems and your woes. Uh, focus on focus forward focus on successes, focus on the challenge uh, and the good stuff and focus um, forward as opposed to focusing backward. And the final one, Katie, we mentioned personality earlier. Personality can uh, add stress. We talked about is, are you always the cause of your own stress? And as you mentioned, um, people pleasing. And that, that is that is a thing. It was mentioned by psychologist Tybee Keller. Um, he talked about personality drivers. I think for me, the big one is self-awareness. We have certain qualities that make us great. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, you know, always striving for improvement, trying hard, uh, being strong, having a stiff upper lip. They can be really, really good qualities. But when we're under stress, we tend to overuse them and they become weaknesses. So when I did Tybee Keller's quiz, mine was always be strong, not wanting to ask for help, keeping calm in a crisis. But when I do too much of that, I pile too much on myself and people look at me and go, oh, she can cope. We'll give her more stuff to do. And actually, that didn't help. If you're a people pleaser, you're more likely to say yes to everything and you and people are likely to lean on you and, and abuse that. If you're a perfectionist, you're likely to want to strive for perfection when maybe it can't be achieved. So knowing your personality and, and recognising where your strengths might become weaknesses under pressure may also be ways of dealing with stress. You telling me perfection couldn't be achieved has made me stressed. Yeah, I mean, exactly that. I mean, I was just like, yes, it can. Yes, it can be achieved. Because if you've got time to do it, Katie, like 
sometimes it's great if you've got the time of the world but i've been in so many work situations like where a product is launching a service is launching and the, and the only thing you can really do is like well we've got to go with it 80 percent, and we might not know what perfection looks like until we've put it out in the world and i know some people get really uncomfortable i used to manage people with a team like that but but you know there's a platinum option there's a gold option it's like no just get it out just get it done <laughs> Funnily enough, with websites, I am actually like that with my clients. I'm like, right, we need to launch it and then we'll tweak it. And But yeah, it's not going to be perfect. It's fine. I, I do actually believe that. But also sometimes I'm just like, there are certain things. Like sometimes I wish I could do a crap job and like yeah. just half-ass something. And I just can't. <laughs> I, I have to keep tweaking it until it's right. So yeah, it's that balance, I think, for me. So I'm glad I'm pragmatic. So Katie, we, we've we've had a, we've shared some tips there and some thoughts about you know, some of the things that causes these, some of the ways in which we can help ourselves, and some practical tips as well. If you're listening to all of this and you're thinking, well, ladies, that's great, but that doesn't actually solve my problem, or I'm still feeling overwhelmed, or I already do that stuff, and you're still struggling, then don't be afraid to seek professional help. Um, you you know that these are great tips for day to day anxiety or stress but if it has built up and it is something that's affecting the quality of your life if you're worried about somebody else if other people have started to to comment or ask after you these could be good signs that maybe you need a little extra help and there are plenty of resources out there i mentioned anxiety uk you can of course speak to your gp there are all sorts of charities and organizations that help yeah totally like i i actually was surprised at how quickly i was referred for counselling through my GP and it might have been to do with where I lived at the time in the Peak District but it was really quick uh, just a few weeks and like here in Anglesey like mind uh, the local mind group do loads of free courses around managing anxiety and mindfulness and assertiveness and all kinds of stuff so yeah there's even if financially you're not in a position to do it privately then there's still loads of free options available too um that I, I found really helped me as well and then we've got a few other episodes as well that we just wanted to highlight that might also be useful if you want to kind of dig into any of the topics that we've covered on this episode so we talked a bit more generally about managing your mental health in episode 46 if you're feeling that stress overwhelmed then we talked about how to deal with getting snowed under in episode 36 if procrastination is an issue, we tackled that as one of our early episodes. That was in episode four, because we know that's really common for freelancers. Similarly, we've talked about motivation in episode eight. So those two together might help you. And we've also mentioned resilience in episode 34, because if you're feeling like things can affect you too much, you might want to work on your resilience. And then finally, if again, you're struggling with fitting everything in, we talked about what to do if there's not enough hours in the day on episode 48. So there's a few back catalogue episodes that might be helpful for you. So at the end of each episode, we always like to do our one tip or takeaway that we would recommend from the episode. So Michelle, if you could just suggest one thing to do to tackle this problem, what would it be? I think assuming that people hearing this are in a, in a good or a goodish place now, I would say prevention is better than cure, Katie. So I think if we can build in habits around our sleeping, our eating, and you know spending time with the people in our support network, I think that just makes everything better. It's better to have those things in a good place now rather than uh, you know try and backtrack on them when things get worse. 
What about you, Katie? Well, do you know, I'm actually going to pick one of the things you talked about with stress rather than an anxiety one, even though stress is less of an issue. But I just loved what you said about it's not to do with the hours, the number of hours that you work, but how you feel during those hours. And I just thought, actually, do you know what? Even if I don't suffer from stress, that's such a thing for me to think about is, yeah, how do I, how do I get to a point where I'm like, even if I'm working fewer hours, those hours are just really contributing a lot of value and kind of, yeah, making me happy. It's kind of decluttering, like sparking joy with time, which I know you've mentioned that um, the Marie Kondo book, there is actually a business book now of the of her decluttering book. And so it almost feels like that. So yeah, I really like that. Idea. If you want to reach out to us, you can get us on Twitter at 99problemscast. That's the number 99, problems, and then cast as in podcast. And we'll see you for another episode of 99 Problems, but a boss ain't one very soon.